0: Sunday mornings we've been tracking through 1 Corinthians uh, really since the beginning of the year and uh, what we want to remind ourselves is that this is a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth, to the leaders in Corinth and the church there was established by Paul. And Paul loved the church, and he sends this letter and uh, talks about a whole lot of things early on um, in the first several chapters. And in chapter 8, there's a transition in the text. Uh, He changes direction to deal with a hot topic that was something that was going on within the church that there was a lot of question about. There was a lot of debate. It was a gray area. And when you look at chapter 8, verse 1, Through chapter 11, verse 1, really that entire section that we've been studying over the last few weeks really talks about can a believer, can a Christ follower eat food sacrificed to idols, number one, or and uh, participate in idol feasts. And the people in the church, the leaders in the church were saying, hey, it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. Or I can go to this party and I'm not going to be affected. And Paul is bringing uh, this idea. He's saying, look, because paganism was everywhere in that culture, he's saying, look, you need to be careful. And that's what we've been seeing. we have saying, look, in these gray areas of our life, and there could be a number of hot topics for our culture today, but we need to understand that, yes, knowledge is good, but we need to couple that with love. And knowledge is not sufficient. It's not everything when determining how we should live. And uh, we've been tracking through from chapter 8 and into 9 and into 10 today. And uh, what but we've seen is that there are times... We need to limit our freedom as believers. You say, well, when would we need to do that? Well, number one, when it, when our own conscience is pricked, when we the Holy Spirit's speaking to us, and we say, all right, if, if I'm feeling at all inside of me that this is not right or it's sin, I need to withhold i don't need to force my liberty will it cause someone else to fall my example when you think about the way that uh, we live and the people around you the people at your work the your family members saying okay will it hurt those around me and the bottom line this is kind of hard to hear but we as believers do not have the right to live however we want remember a couple weeks ago i said hey do you want to be mature And the hands go up and say, yeah, we want to be mature believers, right? Well, if that's the case, there are times we need to limit our freedom, limit our rights in regards to that. And Paul in chapter 9 took the time to say, hey, I'm using myself as an example. Paul uses himself. He says, look, I had the right to be paid as an apostle, but I did not receive that payment. And by the way, I became to the Jews... The, like the Jews so I could reach the Jews. I became like the Gentiles to reach the Gentiles into the weak. And he did that all because souls were on his mind. And for us, we want to remember, and uh, Pastor Pete did a great job last week talking about this combining discipline and soul winning and and bringing those pieces together saying you know what we want to make a difference we want to reach those around us i kind of wish at times that i was a a professor and i could give an assignment a reading assignment and uh and i want to just give a challenge to you and maybe some of you will take it i want to encourage you this week uh, as we continue to track through uh, chapter 8 verse 1 of uh, 1 Corinthians, all the way to 11, verse 1, to read that in one sitting, to take it and to look at it in one context. And I believe as you pray over that and meditate over that, that God will continue to birth things. He'll continue to show areas. And I believe that you will grow as a result of these passages. And I pray that we've been growing as a congregation through this summer and just believing, God, that we're learning new things, yes, and that we're going to be able to apply these things to our lives. So today, we're going to t- tackle the first part of chapter 10, and what's very interesting about this text is that Paul uses Israel's history as an example. Israel had not exercised self-denial or self-discipline like Paul had used his himself as an example. And really, it's a tragic story. Israel had Special blessings, spiritual blessings. Uh, They had tremendous liberty, but they had abused their liberty. And the big takeaway for today, as we kind of get to the end of the message, I'll kind of let the cat out of the bag, is that it's a warning for those who take their liberties to an extreme. And their liberties could be a lot of different things, but when you abuse your liberty, there's a danger of compromise. And you can become overconfident and arrogant. And what I want you to see, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to look at verse 12 before we read it in its context, because really, 12 is where we'll land. Listen to what it says. It says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's where we're gonna end. And what I want you to know is that this is a strong word from Paul. And I want you to, to go ahead and I want you to stand with me. The key here is that it will hurt your relationship with God when your liberties become more important than honoring God. You will lose potential. You have the potential of loss of influence. You have the danger of judgment and uh, uh, judgment from the Lord. And just a lot of dangers when you take your liberties to an extreme. And so I believe that this is an incredible message for us this morning. Let's read it, starting in verse 1. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered all over the desert. Verse 6, Now these things occurred as an example to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. And as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit adultery or uh, uh, sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in the one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. Verse 10 And do not grumble as some of them did, and, and they were killed by the, the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the age has come. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, your word is so powerful. It's so meaningful to us. And God, I pray that we would be able to apply it to our lives this morning for your glory, for your honor. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and you can be seated this morning when we think about this particular passage i want you to see a couple things the first is that there was incredible spiritual blessings for the children of israel in fact but but what we see is that that did not guarantee success for the children of israel There was a massive disconnect between the dramatic spiritual blessing of the Israelites that they enjoyed and the tragic lack of spiritual success. They didn't make it. They were not a good example. And when we get to these verses 1 through 4, what I want you to know is that the, the forefathers that they talk about, the Israelites, the children of Israel in the early church, they would have been well aware of everything that was being talked about. And today, we're going to kind of take a look back at some of these things and help us, to help us get an understanding of what Paul was talking about. And the first thing in verse 1, he says this, I do not want you to be ignorant. He uses that phrase a couple times here in 1 Corinthians, and he'll use it a, a little later as well. But he says, look, this is important. He says, I don't want you to miss this in regards to this whole topic of gray areas, of food sacrifice to idols, of uh, being part of temple worship. He's saying, look, when it comes to this, he says, brothers, our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed under or through the sea. You're saying, what in the world is that talking about? Well, it's talking about, number one, about a divine guidance. It's going back that they were under the cloud. It's referring to the cloud that followed the children of Israel through the desert by day in the pillar of fire by night. As you study that, as you dig into that, it's that the Shekinah glory of God. It was a sign of his visual presence for the people. It was a supernatural guidance from God. And you say, well, where do we see that? In, the, in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and t- through 22, it talks about that cloud going before them as a guide. In Exodus 14, verse 20, it talks about it being behind them as a defense. And in Numbers chapter 10 and in 14, it talks about the presence of God even resting above them as a shelter, now I want you to know today when you get out of, uh, get out of here, I want you to look up and it's going to be cloudy at some point today. I want you to look at some of the clouds that kind of come and go because that is not the type of cloud that was happening here. This was an incredible supernatural cloud and a pillar of fire that rested with them that covered 2 million people. An entire city of people in the desert. Where there was no highway, no exits, no city lights, this was a massive cloud or in a massive fire. It was miraculous, and I think that sometimes we read over that and we don't understand that completely. So not only was there divine guidance, but there was also divine deliverance. It says there that they all passed through the sea, and this is talking about perhaps one of the greatest Old Testament miracles where the children of Israel had left Egypt after 400 years of being in slavery, and they were tracking along, and they got trapped with the enemy behind them, and they had the Red Sea in front of them. And in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21, 22, and 14, 19, it says that there was a pillar of fire at night that separated the enemy from, uh, the, at the back of the camp. And in, during that, the fire of God also dried up the Red Sea. And of course, we know that... Um, when you read that, there's some people that will question and say, oh, well, there are very shallow parts of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel probably just passed over in one of those shallow 6 inches or 12 inches parts of the Red Sea. And uh, really, it's not that all that miraculous. And I, I would say to that that you may be right. We don't know for sure. But listen, if that was the case, how the Egyptians, uh, when they came through, they were swallowed up in 6 to 12 inches of water. You get it? So either way, it was miraculous that God was working on behalf and there was divine deliverance. It was miraculous and there was an incredible spiritual blessing for the people. Then in verse 2, look what it says. It says that not only did they had passed through, but they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In that picture of baptism, there is just an identification with God through Moses. They were following, and with that, there was divine unity. All the people in four verses, there, in verse one, two, three, and four, five times it says that they're all together. And what's very interesting is that they are all together, supernatural. And just like when we baptize people, people say, Yes, I am going to serve God, I love Jesus. They, that we identify with Christ in the same way the Israelites had identified with Moses, who identified with Yahweh God. They're all under the same authority, under the same leadership. They're moving together. In unity. And not only that, there was, there was also divine guidance and gui- divine uh, uh, protection, or, uh, uh, there was divine unity, but there was also divine provision. Look at verses 3 and f- verse 4. I love this. It says, They all ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink, and they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. And you see here Paul taking Old Testament truth with New Testament revelation and saying, look, the, the, that Jesus himself was with the people of Israel in the desert. Jesus was the rock, and he is our rock. And very interesting how he does that, and you can kind of dive into that on your own study. But what I see here is that they were sustained in the desert. And I would say not only sustained, I believe that the people of Israel thrived in the desert. Manna was provided, bread from heaven. Psalm 78, 25 says it was bread from angels that God gave them everything that they needed to eat on a daily basis. And that manna was sweet. It was used in a lot of different ways and helpful. And uh, it was very, very appropriate. They all ate that same spiritual food. And then it says they all drank from the same spiritual rock or uh, spiritual water. And what we see is that that, that rock was Christ. And in Exodus 17, 1 through 9, and no, in Numbers 20, 1 through 13, that this was an incredible River of God that flowed in the desert. We might think, oh, you know, Moses hits this small rock and a trickle of water comes out. No. Two million people plus livestock were sustained by water in the desert. It was miraculous. The supernatural blessing of God. It was amazing. And the blessings were abundant for the Israelites. And Paul is reminding the Corinthian believers, saying, look, the children of Israel were blessed. And Paul's saying, look, you are blessed. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he reminds them who they are in Christ. He says, look, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are all these things you are blessed. And I would say for our context here, that at the Gateway Church, we are blessed. I believe that just like the children of Israel were led by the cloud uh, by day and the fire by night, that God is guiding us. He is leading us as a church in this critical time for the lakeshore and for our world. Amen? And I believe that he's providing deliverance and salvation. He's providing, there's incredible unity. When you look at what God is doing, it's supernatural. And I believe that there is divine provision for us, corporately and individually. When you are a part of us, you are connected. And I believe that the blessings that flow to the church will flow to you as well and i say praise the lord to that amen and i am thankful to be a part of a church that is alive and well that there's spiritual blessings and if we took the time we could share testimony after testimony of how god is providing how there's unity in families how god is using uh, our situation to make a difference in people's lives and and uh, that would and it's important for us to remember that and so paul is saying look look at the children of israel they had incredible spiritual blessings, okay? But then in verse 5, he uses this word, nevertheless. He says, put on the brakes. He says, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered all over the desert. And when he uses that word, nevertheless, it's a shocker to me to think that the children of Israel had all these blessings but chose not to serve God fully. And what it does, it introduces this contrast between God's spiritual blessings and the pathetic spiritual response of the people. All the blessings did not keep Israel from sinning. Now I want you to let that sink in. Because you can be a part of a congregation that's experiencing God's blessings. You can be in a family that's experiencing God's blessings, but it doesn't guarantee you from falling and from sinning. It's an incredible warning here, and it says most of them, and that's a huge understatement, only two out of two million made it into the promised land. That was Joshua and Caleb. And I'm asking myself, how could people with such blessings end up in such a disaster? And my guess is that it's not as uncommon as you might think. And in the context, what I see here is that the the children of Israel were stretching their liberties. They were taking things to an extreme, and they lost out on what God had for them. And the same is true for us. If we stretch our liberty, our Christian liberty, we are in danger of losing out with God. Now, before we go too much further, I want to talk about some extremes. On one side, we could take that and we could say, oh, we're going to button up. We're going to put, you know, we're going to get the suits back on. We're going to say no makeup ladies, long skirts, buns on top, you know, suits and and, uh, ties and, you know, dress shoes, wingtips, you know, uh, you know, whatever it takes. We're going to, you know, and we're going to be, Uh, super, super legalistic. And that's not really what I'm talking about. And maybe some of you grew up in a context like that where there was a lot of rules and a lot of this and that, and it was all related to holiness and maybe even salvation. And I'm not suggesting that we go to that extreme. But what I've seen is that there's another extreme that a lot of believers have fallen into where they say, you know what? I don't want to hear anything about limiting my liberty. And tragically, many believers would value their liberty, their rights as a believer, more than they value righteousness. And they say things like this, oh, I can handle it. The office party that kind of comes and you know things are not going to go be all that godly. And they're saying, you know what, I'll sit in the corner and I'll sip on my uh, Sprite with lime and it might look like I'm drinking, but I, I won't partake, I can handle it, Right? Or maybe the, the, the young man that gets invited to a bachelor party and you know that there's going to be inappropriate things happening, but they say, you know, I know my boundaries. I'm not going to cross the line. I, I'll be okay, right? How about for us, maybe you've uh, been to the movies and you say, okay, there's some profanity. You know, you look it up online and there may be a small amount of nudity. You say, well, I don't even notice that kind of stuff or it doesn't affect me or the Bible doesn't say I can't watch movies, so it should be Okay. And the warning, church, is to listen. When you stretch your liberties, you will lose out with God. And I know that's a strong word, and it was a strong word for the Corinthian church. And what I want you to know is I'm not saying necessarily that you'll be eliminated eternally or fall away from grace, although I do believe that's possible. I do believe there's a point where you can reject Christ after you've accepted Christ, and you can reject Him enough and... And you walk away. I I believe that Scripture teaches us that. But in this context, we're looking at the children of Israel. And they were serving. They had all these uh, these blessings, but they chose, and we're going to see it in just a minute, to deny God. They lost an appetite for God, and they didn't enter the Promised Land. They were disciplined. There was judgment. And and what we want to be careful is not to let these evil things kind of slip into our lives let's continue look at verse 6 it says now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things that word evil things there in the greek means worthless things wicked things harmful or corrupt that we wouldn't uh, that things that don't matter things that uh, that are not important to god would not take a precedence And what we see is oftentimes we want to do things our own way or our own. We try to do workarounds and say, okay, I'll serve God, but I can still do this. And what happened for the Israelites is they had stopped having an appetite for the things of God. In fact, in Numbers 11, verse 4, it talks about them not even wanting the manna, the meat from heaven that God was giving them on a daily basis. And you say, well, yeah, man, they had that manna every day and, and, you know, maybe it got old, whatever. Well, listen, if it was from God, it was the very best. And what was interesting there is that the manna that once was incredible, it became common to them. And they say, oh, give us the meat, give us the vegetables. We want to go back to Egypt. And and we see this in, in our own lives as well. Maybe you can think of a time where maybe you had a desire for God that was so strong. You say, God, I don't want anything to come between you and me. And my relationship with God is so important. But maybe that has waned. Maybe you've lost an appetite for the things of God And I would just ask the question, what has happened in your life? And what Paul does, he strategically takes four examples, four warnings in the next few verses. And I want to track through these. And the first warning, he's saying, look, you cannot allow idolatry in the ranks. Look at verse 7. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were, the Israelites As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We see this, and you say, well, where is that found in Scripture? You can write it down from Exodus chapter 32. We won't take the time to look at it in its entirety, but in the first 14 verses, and then in verses 30 through 35, what we see is that Moses was away up on Mount Sinai, he went to go get the law from the Lord. He's hearing from God, fasting and praying, in a spiritual, supernatural fast on the mountainside. And the people, the Israelites, became restless. And what's very interesting as I studied this is that there were some in the group that said, hey, let's uh, have a festival. Let's celebrate. Let's start some dancing. Let's, let's get some joy back into things. And what's interesting, and uh, John Lindell pointed this out, um, he says that it started off with God in mind. I had never seen that before. I thought, oh, man, those people were just all bad. But listen, they started saying, hey, let's celebrate. Let's serve God. Let's dance before the Lord. And quickly it got out of hand. The dancing turned more erotic and vulgar. And on the side, Aaron is on the side, melting gold, creating a golden calf. And what started as worship to the true God ended up as idol worship. And I had never seen that. And what's very interesting is that we ha- there are subtle ways that we can try to serve God and we can allow idol worship to get in as well. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 101. Very interesting uh, uh, psalm here from David. He's given his heart. He's saying, Look, I will sing of your love and your justice to you, O Lord. I will sing your praise, verse one. Verse two, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. David's saying, Look, I, my heart is to, to be spotless when you come to me, or when when will you come to me? I will walk in my house with blameless heart. And then he says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. He's saying, I don't want any idol. I don't want anything to be a distraction. He says, the deeds of faithful men I hate, they will not cling to me. Men of perverse hearts shall be far from me. And then he says, I will have nothing to do with evil. David's saying, look, if it has even the appearance of evil, I don't want any part of it. No idols. David's saying, and Paul's saying the same thing here. And turn with me to, to Ephesians chapter 5. He's writing to a different group of, of Christians. He's talking to the, uh, uh, the church at Ephesus. But listen what he says, Paul does. He says in verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God. He says, Therefore, dearly, brother, dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed. Why? Because these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Verse 5, For of this you can be sure, listen, no immoral impure or greedy person and then he says such a man is an idolater he says no 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 idolater will inherit the kingdom of christ and of god this is a huge warning he's saying any kind of idolatry it's a slippery slope you must be careful and i as you read ephesians there the standard is really really high to be imitators of god See, I don't know how I could do that. Well, it's only by God's word at, at work inside of us. And the standard is crystal clear. And you can run anything in your life through that filter. The magazines and novels that you read, the TV and movies that you watch, where you go on the internet. The idea is that if there's garbage going in, there will be garbage coming out. And what happens in our lives, and I can say this, in my life, I was convicted this week that there's a desensitizing to sin. What once may have been an issue is not so much of an issue anymore. And what's happening in our lives is that it's killing the church. And there's a danger. And Paul's saying, look, be careful. That we would want to worship God on our own terms, in our own way. That the church could do it without using God as a standard. You say, well, well, but that's my show. And it's just entertainment. It's not that big of a deal. Look, Ephesians 5 is crystal clear that there should not be even a hint of immorality. Nothing immoral, nothing greedy. Anything you put in front of God is idolatry. And when there's idolatry, it says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in 1 Corinthians, in that sake, Paul's warning saying, look, God's wrath was poured out on the Israelites in regards to this. Some would say, oh, it's not a big deal. It's you know, it's not affecting me, right? Well, let me just ask this. On what basis would you say that, that idolatry is okay, not God's word? And you've got to filter it through that. And then Paul leads right into chapter Uh, Chapter 10, verse 8, let's look at it. And he really takes a one-two punch with uh, idolatry and then immorality. Look what it says. It says, do not be idolaters, verse 7. In verse 8, he says, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died this is huge. You're saying, well, what in the world is that story about? And we'll get there in just a second. But the Corinthian believers, remember, we studied this in chapter 6 and 7, they were saying, oh, we are free. We've got all this knowledge and we know that the body or the food is for the body, sex is for the body. And, and they're saying, hey, we can live however we want. In fact, there were, even within the church, there were men having sexual relationships with their mother-in-laws and it was just really perverse and it had been trickled in. And what's interesting is that I have seen that this idea of sexual morality not being a huge issue has trickled in to the church as well. There are people who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I can live with someone or we can move in together to see how it's going to work out. Or I can have sex outside of marriage, and um, I'm a Christian, but I love God. Or I can have uh, multiple partners or a homosexual lifestyle and be a Christian and still love God. And I'm saying, look, where in Scripture does God ever take sexual immorality lightly? He doesn't. And in this case, Paul's referring back to Numbers chapter 25. I want you to write it down. You can read it later. Israel is rejecting God's direction. They've allowed for the Moabite and the Midianite women um, to, to come into their camp. And the Israelites are having uh, creating uh, these sexual relationships. And what happens is a plague was breaking out. A plague that was taking lives. And the plague, that's very interesting, did not stop until Phineas, Aaron's, son, Aaron's grandson, took a spear and executed a couple that was engaged in the very act of sexual immorality. You say, this is a big deal, and it is. It was a huge deal. And Paul's saying, look, you cannot be an idolater or have sexual immorality in the camp and not lose out with God. And this was a serious warning for them. And he's saying, look, Stop and stop immediately. Otherwise, there will be discipline from the Lord. There will be judgment from God. Hebrews chapter 12 says that those that God loves, He will discipline. And so, if you're saying, Hey, it's not affecting me, I can live like I want on the side, you know, I can view what I want online, and it's not going to affect my family or my my life, I would say that is not true. Or if it's not affecting you, I would say you need a question. Your relationship with the Lord. This is heavy, I know. But Paul's saying, look, this is so important. He's saying you need to stop. And then he continues in uh, verse number 9. He says not only uh, to stop idolatry, that there should be no sexual immorality, but verse 9 he says we should not as well test the Lord as some of them did, and they were killed by snakes. This is a reference to Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. We won't read it. But the Israelites were not happy with God at that point. They were blaming him for uh, bringing him out to the desert. They were actually charging God with unfaithfulness. They're saying, God, you've been unfaithful to us. You brought us here to die. They're they're testing God, as Scripture says. And the result is that people were assaulted and they were killed by snakes. And the only way that it stopped, you might remember the story from Sunday school, is that they had to bring, they had to lift up a brass serpent on a pole. And it was really a picture of Christ. They didn't know that then, but later on, that revelation came that Christ was the only way to save uh, for salvation. But Paul's saying, look, you can't test God. And then in verse, the fourth thing in verse 10 it goes kind of hand in hand with that is to grumble and to complain. Look what it says it says, don't test God. And do not grumble, verse 10, as some of them did, and they were killed by the destroying angel. God's judgment, God's disapproval. In Numbers chapter 14 and in chapter 16, you could read it. um, They were complaining against God's authority, and the complaining spread. Unrest throughout the camp, and God opened up the ground, it says, and swallowed the complainers. They were avenged by God's angels, it says. You say, man, that's serious. Just for grumbling, just for complaining. And what we see is that grumbling, where's the root of grumbling? It comes from selfishness. And with selfishness, there's sin. And the sin is at the root of that. And Paul is saying, you cannot grumble. You shouldn't test God. You need to stay clear from sexual immorality. And you need to steer clear from idols. And in verse 11, he kind of wraps up that whole idea. He says, look, this is a warning. He says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the age has come. Of course, there, that's Jesus bringing another reference to Jesus. But he's saying, look, the bridge is up. Or maybe the bridge is out. He's saying, stop. Stop abusing your liberty. Stop taking uh, God's, the, the freedom of Christ and taking it to an extreme. And then he comes to, the I believe, the crux of this message in verse 12 he says this and he really i want you to see this as paul saying this sarcastically because the corinthians they believed remember they are puffed up with knowledge they had it all together they had all the rights and all the wisdom later on we'll see that they had all the gifts they had the liberty they had the understanding is as as if they were on the top of the world and sarcastically listen what he said he says so if you think you're standing firm and in, in other words he's saying look You think you've got it all together. You think you're making it, and you can do all these things, and your liberties will allow you to participate in these different things. He says, be careful that you don't fall. It's interesting, Paul, remember in chapter 4, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, Paul called the Corinthian leaders arrogant. And again, we see this overconfidence this uh, pride slipping in. And Paul is saying, look, you don't have a clue. He's saying, be careful or you risk falling. And really, there's that temporal judgment that God may send. And I believe, in this context, even eternal judgment, where you once were serving God, but you flirted with the edge, and now you've fallen off. And whether that came through grumbling or testing God or sexual immorality or idolatry, what happens, it's a slippery slope. It's like the frog that you throw in the pot and you get the fire going, and the frog doesn't even realize that his insides are being boiled to death. And it's subtle. And we rationalize. And we excuse this and we excuse that. And what's waiting all the time in the corner is death. See, sin is a destroyer, church. It will always end in death. And as I was studying this, I came across a story from Paul Harvey. If You've heard of Paul Harvey? Back in August 21st, 1966, he wrote in the paper a little blurb about um, how the Eskimos would kill wolves. And I want to read this, and I want you to pay attention. He says, this is how an Eskimo would kill a wolf. He says, first, the Eskimo would coat the knife blade with the animal's blood and allow it to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood and then another until the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. Next, the hunter fixes the knife in the ground with the blade up. When the wolf follows his senses or sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he licks it, tasting the fresh frozen blood. He begins to lick faster, more and more vigorously, lapping the blood until the the keen edge is bare. Feverishly, harder and harder, the wolf wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night. So great becomes his craving for the blood that the wolf does not notice the razor-sharp sting of the naked blade on his tongue, nor does he recognize the instant at which his unsatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own warm blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves more and more until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. Now I don't know if this story is even real, if that really happens. I didn't really do the research to see if it's true. And some of you might say, well, that's a little graphic or that's a little extreme, don't you think? Too bold or maybe too blunt. And I would say that that particular image is equal to the image that Paul is bringing here, saying, Look, the Israelites, they suffered because they let their liberties go to an extreme. They exercised them. And you say, Man, well I've you know, if that's the case and I'm not sure I can make it, or I've screwed up, or I've I've done this or that, or I'm not sure how I could even get beyond you know, where I am today. Well, there's good news in verse 13. It doesn't stop with uh, verse 12 let's look at it Uh, verse 13 i love this it says this he says no temptation has seized you except what is common to man in other words he's saying look what you are experiencing the temptation that you have to take your liberties to an extreme in whatever case that might be he's saying look that's common you're part of the human race welcome to the club he's saying uh, no temptation has see you what, is, what else is common to man. And God is faithful, number two, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He's saying, look, there's good news. Yes, you're going to be tempted to take your liberties to an extreme or to dabble in this or that or to be curious about something in your life. But he's saying there's always going to be a way out because God is faithful. You can walk out. You can turn it off. You can burn it, crush it. And better yet, you can work upstream, like a a friend of mine says, so you don't go to the place, or you don't look, or you don't even start down the path. Church, you don't have to abuse your liberty. You can limit your liberty for the sake of love, for the sake of others. It's not about how far can I go and still be okay because what happens, it's a slippery slope. Take Israel as an example. As I was praying and asking the Lord uh, to just continue to to use this word, and really I felt strong that this could be uh, the most important message that you hear all summer long that what we are hearing from Paul is an incredible encouragement for us to take a look on the inside and say, how am I doing? And my prayer is that each and every one of us would say, man, I would want to walk in a way that pleases the Lord in every area of our lives. And so for me, I'm saying, God, I want to use this example of Israel which, by the way, is a negative example. And there are lots of positive examples. You can look at Enoch and Joseph and Esther and Abigail and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus is a wonderful example as well. But I want to take this example from Israel's history and learn from the past, to learn from that history and apply it to my own life. And if there's anything in my life that is on that slippery slope, I want to be attentive to that. I want to say, God, I want to limit those things so I don't lose out. And maybe I don't lose out temporarily because of judgment, or maybe even lose out permanently with eternity. And this morning, I believe that God wants to speak to some of our hearts, in regards to those two things. The one is on the salvation side saying, man, maybe I once served God. Maybe I was you know, solid and just trusted God, but I've fallen off, or maybe I've turned away. And this morning, God wants you to come back. He wants you to surrender once again. And the good news about that, it's not, you know, maybe it took months and months for you to fall away. It only takes a moment to come back. You turn and God is there. There's nothing that's keeping you from the love of God. Accept your decision to serve Him, to love Him. And so this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to give that opportunity. The second part is a repentance. And I believe that strong, that there are those here today that you may think you're okay, that you're secure. But Paul is saying in this text that when you think you're okay, when you think you've got it under control or that it's not a big deal, that is when you are most vulnerable He'll fall, and again, that's a strong, strong warning. But for those that have this smug, proud, overconfidence, I'm praying that this morning that the light will go on, and it'll bring you back to your knees, saying, "God, I need you once again in my life. I want to surrender again. I don't want anything to keep be, keep us apart." It's not worth taking your liberty to an extreme. You will lose out on God. And so this morning, with everyone's eyes closed and hearts just hopefully soft before the Lord, I want to ask first, if you're here this morning, if you don't know the Lord, and you're away from God, and if you were to die today, you don't know for sure that you'd make it to heaven. But this morning you're saying, man, I want to get my life right with Jesus. Would you just lift your hand? I want to pray with you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. But if that's you, you don't know for sure. Maybe one time you served God and maybe you, you've fallen off or you've rejected God, you've turned away. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. Anyone at all? Yeah, thanks. Anyone else? Anyone else this morning? There's one young man that raised his hand. I'm not going to embarrass him, point him out. But I want to encourage him that he's not alone. And it's easy to turn away. The world is is strong. It's got a strong pull. And that comes to our second point, that the world's pull would love to make you think that you're okay, that you're secure. But maybe you're realizing this morning that the way you've been living your life, you are really vulnerable and maybe you've allowed things to creep into your life that you never thought you would have before and today you're saying God I want to return I want to make sure there's nothing in my life that is displeasing to you the warning is to repent and to stop immediately and whether that's in regards to testing God or grumbling or with sexual immorality or idolatry. If there's anything between you and God this morning, you're saying, God, that's where I am today. There's things in my life that I've allowed. Would you just slip up your hand with everyone's head bowed, eyes closed? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of hands. Sure. And I believe that God is sharing with us through his word. Who else this morning say, boy, there's things that I've allowed to creep in. I become overconfident. And I realize that at that moment, I'm most vulnerable. And this morning, if you raised your hand, in just a few moments, I'm going to ask that you stand with the rest of us. And I'm going to ask that we would be able to commit some time to the Lord and commit our lives to God's standard. In fact, I want everyone's eyes on me here just for a moment. When we consider God's word, we're taken bit by bit, piece by piece, Isn't it good to understand God's word and to to understand what Paul was saying in these circumstances? We are called as believers to a high standard. To a high standard. And if this morning you're saying, Pastor, I want to commit to God's standard in my life no matter what. I'm just going to invite you to stand. We're uh, We're going to sing through a song together. And we're going to commit our ways to the Lord. And I want those that raise your hand early on uh, for salvation or for uh, for this whole idea of coming back to the Lord or saying, God, there's things in my life that are displeasing. We're going to stand together. In verse 12, it says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. What's interesting is Paul is writing to the leaders of the church. We've been talking about it, obviously. And when you look at our culture, it's almost a weekly, certainly monthly, that we hear about something in the news: a leader falling into sexual immorality, or that idolatry grips someone's life and they fall away, or that there, maybe there's some testing or grumbling happening within a church. And, and what happens is the gospel is destroyed, or it's, it's weakened. We were just in Florida uh, the last couple weeks or two weeks ago for a week and a half or so. And uh, my parents' church, humongous church, 20,000 people plus, and their pastor uh, just exposed and caught in an affair. Uh, had a long time battle with pornography and, and it all came out as, in fact, his high school son found him out and, uh, and went to another pastor and, and he's out of ministry. He was disqualified. I don't know if you listen to Christian radio, but recently while we are in Florida, we heard on Facebook, haven't really got the full report, but um, one of the radio announcers in ministry disqualified himself because of immorality. Church, it's everywhere. And not one of us is exempt, me included. We need to take this warning to heart and say, you know what? We need to guard our hearts. We need to have good accountability. We need to have a heart that is hungry for the things of God, for righteousness sake. And what happens, it's so subtle. It's one compromise here, one slip up here, and all of a sudden, we're in danger. Be careful that you don't fall, Paul says. And I want to take that to heart in my own life. And I know that you stood and saying, man, I want to live my life To God's standard. I want you just to lift your hands to the Lord here this morning. And I want you just to be right where you are, just to ask the Lord just to cleanse your heart and for him to move in your life and say, God, I don't want to be disqualified. I want my life to count. I want it to mean something. I want to give my life away so you can use me. God, count me faithful. Lord, Work in my life. Purify my body. Purify my life. And God, whether it's grumbling, and I've allowed just a discontent or a a blaming you for things in my life, God, forgive me for that. Or maybe I've tried to test you, God, and and I've, I've taken you too far. God, forgive me for that. And God, if there's sexual immorality, which the... Recent statistics say that over 60% of men struggle with pornography weekly. God, that's in the church as well. in pastors, 50% of pastors, regularly. God, help us. Lord, help men and women to choose righteousness in regards to the things that you are so crystal clear about. God, forgive us for the immorality. And God, if there's idols in our lives, if there are things that are more important in our lives, relationships that are more important than you, maybe image or maybe a a car or a house or a relationship, God, whatever it is, God, whatever that idolatry is, God, we cast it at your feet. God, we're pleading with you saying, God, don't disqualify us. Help us to heed the warning and to say it's true to you, true to your word, and God help us. And now I want you to take your Bibles, if you've got a Bible, and if you, even if it's an electric uh, or a digital copy, and if you don't have a Bible, I want you to take your hands, pretend like you've got a Bible, I want you to put that on your heart. And this is how we're going to close. We're going to ask God, through His Holy Spirit, through His word, to help us in our lives to stay pure, To stay alive, to not fall off, to be disqualified, or even uh, potentially be disqualified eternally. And so, with our Bibles on our hearts, say, Dear Heavenly Father, after me, Help help your word to be a light to my feet, help it to impact my heart and give me a desire to have your standard in every area of my life. Lord, purify me through your word in Jesus' name. And Lord, now, just like the cloud and the fire followed the children of Israel, God, I pray that you go before us, behind us, and all around us. God, spare us, God. Lead us, guide us, protect us, Cover us with your protection. God, we pray it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.